This podcast is proudly brought to you by Partners Life, who share CureKid's vision of healthier children with a brighter future. Kia ora and welcome to CureKid's podcast on rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease, the second in our inaugural series. At the end of last year, CureKid's proudly announced an unprecedented $3 million for research projects to help eradicate this disease of poverty in New Zealand. This commitment will build on the legacy of our late co-founder, Professor Sir Bob Elliott, who had the foresight to know that unless we started investing specifically in child health research, New Zealand would drop further down the OECD health rankings. With me today is CureKid CEO Francis Benge. Francis, can you tell me how this came about and what CureKid's funding is hoping to achieve? We have been funding some wonderful researchers in the rheumatic heart disease screening area, or in rheumatic heart disease and rheumatic fever area. But I had an enormous sense of frustration transferred from Bob that RHD and rheumatic fever is a completely preventable illness and New Zealand has the most dire statistics. It's a third world problem and we shouldn't have it. And that was catalyzed this year when I saw the enormous response to COVID and how because it can affect anyone randomly in New Zealand, suddenly we have a massive call to action and yet we've got this hideous disease that is generated from a point of social deprivation and yet we haven't found the answers, we haven't found the preventions, the vaccines, the cures, the treatments yet. And so I went to our board with Sir Bob firmly burning a message in my ear and I said, I think the best way to do this is to have a collaborative approach, throw all the researchers in the sandpit together so that they can all talk and collaborate and, and bounce off each other an idea for how do we solve this problem for once and for all. And I'm really proud to say that our board committed one of its largest um, funding grants of $3 million over three years um, towards this project. And that does keep me awake at night because we do have to find funding for it. <laughs> but I was really proud that the board could back me for that. And knowing that Sir Bob was gravely ill, to be able to promise delivery on that before he passed away has a significant um, emotional attachment for me. Thanks, Francis, and thank you to the CureKids board for investing so much into this priority area. One of the earlier RHD research projects funded by CureKids was carried out by Professor Michael Baker, an epidemiologist who many of you may recognise as the leading voice on the COVID-19 pandemic. Michael, can you tell us a bit more about the disease and why we need to urgently prioritise this health issue in New Zealand? As Francis has said, um, rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease are third world diseases. Um, New Zealand and Australia have this strange distinction of being the only high income countries where these remain an important health problem. The second thing that is really stark and also equally shocking is the huge inequities. And I could present numerous graphs and data to point that out. I, everyone in the room knows this. But one figure I think really does summarise this, and that is that by the time you get to the age of 20 in New Zealand, if you're a European child, you've got a 0.01% chance of having acquired acute rheumatic fever. That's 1 in 10,000. And if you apply that to New Zealand as a whole, that would mean we'd get five or six cases a year in New Zealand. We get, you know, 180 cases that we know about, and there'll be additional cases we're not aware of. 
But if you look at the risk for a Māori child by the age of 20, it's 0.5%, so 50 times higher. And for a Pacific child, it's 1.2%, so 120 times higher risk of having ARF by the time you get to 20. And there's no other disease in New Zealand that has such stark inequalities. And while ARF itself, acute rheumatic fever, is um, a serious illness, it doesn't have on its own these long-term consequences. We know the real problem is that that is putting those children down a pathway of having to live with rheumatic heart disease, you know, a chronic uh, disease that shortens lives and limits possibilities for these young people. So one of the positive things I think about... Um, working in this area, it's highly collaborative. And as you can see from the mix of projects, they really um, involve um, this many of the people in the room on multiple projects. And it partly reflects the fact that combating rheumatic fever requires action at every stage, from looking at pure public health areas, primordial prevention, housing, through primary care, early diagnosis, and then uh, treatment, se secondary care in hospitals, and also tertiary care, um, rehabilitation and so on. And I think that reflects just the, the huge range of disciplines um, that are working in this area. And sometimes there's scepticism about research. People say, oh, you always say more research is needed. This is very much a disease where that is true, because we actually do not have enough tools to um, prevent acute rheumatic fever and manage rheumatic heart disease in an optimal way. And that is why we actually do need more of the research that Cure Kids is funding. And even now, if, if we said, look, here's um, $50 million on, to use our interventions, we would still need to be thinking very hard about that, how that was applied, because our research base is still too small. So that's why I think this is such an important initiative. Uh, certainly, I think elimination is probably the word of the year, and um, I, I think um, it is interesting if we could apply that. And the reason that New Zealand, I think, has achieved so much is we've had this, this joining together of science and political leadership, and we've achieved a huge amount. We've got the lowest COVID-19 mortality in the OECD and a whole lot of other interesting benefits in terms of preventing respiratory illnesses and influenza. But just think if we could apply that same science-based leadership linking through to political leadership, how much we could achieve with this disease. And I think I really have to congratulate Cure Kids. This is fantastic that you're, this initiative, this huge um, valued resource you're putting into this area, and I think that will give us a much better scientific base for moving ahead in this area. Thanks, Michael. You mentioned the long-term impact rheumatic heart disease can have on a person's life. Former blues player Matt Johnson experienced this firsthand last year when his career came to an abrupt end. Well, kia ora, Matty. Thanks for joining us to share your story. Uh, kia ora, uh, thank you, kia ora kids, for having me along. Um, sorry in advance for the, the loud tick. That's just the, the heart, it's a bit loud. Um, just studying. Um, but my, yeah, my journey um, started when I was 13, diagnosed with rheumatic fever. Uh, did not know what it was, um, what it can do, and as a 13-year-old, I was told that I needed heart surgery. And it was quite daunting as a young kid, and obviously mum, mum felt it more than I did. She felt like she was responsible, and obviously she didn't know, and we weren't aware. Um, 
But yeah, it was, it was, it was tough um, going through that. And obviously, I enjoyed playing rugby. And I was told that I couldn't play rugby anymore after that, um, which was, I think I was more sad about that than actually going in for heart surgery. Um, but being stubborn, um, I, I lived on the edge and I pushed myself and obviously tested the medical staff and um, they finally gave me clearance to play um, after a year. And so I did that. I was living my dream, 10 years playing professional rugby. Um, yeah, long story short, uh, came to 2018. I finally made the blues. Uh, I was living the dream. Um, that was my dream job. Um, and yeah, and then again, another setback, the tissue valve, aortic valve, um, started leaking again, enlarged, and I survived pre-season. So I did all that and then came to actual season. And then the uh, cardiologist said that I needed to go under the knife again. And I was just like, oh, here, here we go again, like, you know, I finally made it. And then another, another setback. But again, I was stubborn. Four and a half months later, after heart surgery, I was back playing again. Um, yeah, I was real stubborn. And obviously mum, mum and all that, they're always worried. Um, but they, 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 they unbacked me and they enjoyed that. I was, you know, living the dream, enjoying myself playing. Um, and then, yeah, two years after that, um, I was in a meeting, sitting down, and I felt tight. I felt tight, sore, achy, but I was just sitting down, um, and I thought maybe it's just tight back after training and whatnot. And then, yeah, I went to hospital and I found out it was just a minor heart attack. Um, and after all the tests and whatnot, and they found out my coronary artery was 85% blocked for two years and I was playing professional rugby um, during that time. And they were surprised that I didn't you know, drop while training or playing. And I felt it when I was just in the meeting, sitting down. So um, yeah, I'm quite grateful that I survived that. So that was earlier in March this year. And then I got, sorry, <laughs> studying. Um, and then I got a stent pudding, because why I was blocked, I was, um, tissue it was tissue from the previous heart surgery it wasn't plaque so i think it was quite new to them and they wanted to test out if a stent could go in there and fix it and they did that and it was still probably 30 percent blocked um, from what they told me which was better than 85 so <laughs> i still carried on playing um and then a few months later came june um i started aching again just training normally nothing up out of the ordinary, nothing I'm not used to. Uh, I started training, started getting aches, aches, uh, chills, fever, and I thought maybe I got the virus, COVID-19. So I went in for a test and clear. Um, then I was in hospital for two weeks before they found out it was endocarditis. Um, so a bacteria that was latched to my valve. Um, and then I was like, here we go again, another setback. Um, and then they said I needed surgery. Um, I had to remove that. Um, and they told me, I think four days before surgery, do you want a tissue valve or a mechanical valve? Again, um, this was going to be my third one. And again, being stubborn, not you know, caring about my health too much. I was like, I, need a, I want a tissue valve again. Carry on playing rugby. So I'll go through the process. I've done it before. Hopefully I can do it again. Um, went under the knife and it was bad. 
apparently that stent was lodged into the heart, stabbing the heart. Um, I was so weak, the heart was so weak, impaired. I was in the induced coma for six days. Um, I woke up the following, I think, Sunday. I had surgery on that Tuesday. And I woke up and obviously they had to put a mechanical one in because they thought I wouldn't survive if I went under the knife again. So um, thankful for that surgeon um, making that choice for me. Um, and yeah, I woke up thinking it was the same day, just overnight slept, but no, it was, it was major. Um, and my family went through it, um, my fiance, so I think it was harder for them than it was for me. Um, and when you're waking up to that, hearing the news and stuff, they were worried about telling me that I can't play rugby anymore, got a mechanical valve um, and all that, but did not care. I was, I was grateful that I was still there, I was still alive. Um, they said that, like, yeah, it was 50-50 um, during that time. So I'm grateful I'm still here. Um, so yeah, she's we're organising a wedding instead of a funeral. So that's you know that's that's a plus for us. Um, but yeah, I love the work that you guys are, are doing. Um, researchers cure kids. Um, obviously, it's close to my heart, and um, something I do not wish on anyone, especially a young PR Maori kids. Like they love you know they love their sports and whatnot and. It just holds them back, and it's yeah, it's it's not fun, you know. Growing up, having heart um, surgery, it's scary, scary. Um, but yeah, now I'm known as the the heart guy instead of the rugby guy, and I guess it's, I'm grateful that I have a platform where I can, you know, share um, spread awareness and prevention, and um, yeah, I'll keep working um, alongside other other organisations and just you know, just sharing my story and also connecting with the young young kids and I'm not sure if I can promote you know you can keep playing rugby I'm not sure if I want to do that um, but yeah um, yeah that's my story and thanks for having me. Kia ora Maddie that's a really powerful story so how do we move forward with me are the six recipients of Kia Kids three million dollar funding commitment all six researchers have different but complementary objectives. We'd love each of you to share a brief overview of your project and what it's hoping to achieve. Jaslyn, you're working towards developing a vaccine. Can we start with you? So my research focus is on disease prevention through the development of a vaccine. What we know currently is that it is preceded by a strep A infection. Um, Typically, this is a relatively mild infection, such as strep throat, uh, but what uh, can occur in at-risk individuals is that an inappropriate immune response develops, and this leads to the far more serious condition, acute rheumatic fever. Uh, what happens with repeated infections and recurrent episodes of acute rheumatic fever is the, the permanent damage to the heart that we see in rheumatic heart disease. So where my my project fits in is right uh, at the initial stages. So by developing a vaccine that can prevent the initiating or triggering infection, we should be able to prevent any downstream disease. Thanks, Jocelyn. Nikki, you're focusing on biomarkers. Can you tell us more about that? So we, we know that um, rheumatic fever starts with a strep throat infection. What we really don't understand very well is then what goes wrong in some children that means they don't just clear the infection, they go on and they develop this autoimmune or autoinflammatory-like condition that we know is rheumatic fever. 
And the thing that we're most concerned about in rheumatic fever is carditis or heart valve, um, um, heart inflammation, because that is the thing that can lead to long-term um, heart damage and rheumatic heart disease. So one way that um, we can think about reducing rheumatic heart disease, in particular that serious long-term consequence of rheumatic fever, is improving the diagnosis of rheumatic fever. So at the moment there's a clinical diagnosis, it's all clinical signs and symptoms, and all children need a heart scan to get a, a definite diagnosis of rheumatic fever. Um, there is no one specific diagnostic test that can be done to diagnose a child with rheumatic fever. And so that means that diagnosis can sometimes be delayed or in fact can be missed. And certainly in, in settings overseas, up to 80% of children present with rheumatic heart disease where their prior rheumatic fever has not been diagnosed. And we know that misdiagnoses also happen here in New Zealand. And so our work is really focused on trying to improve the diagnosis um, through using cutting-edge scientific techniques to find um, markers that could be used um, to improve this diagnostics. Thanks, Nikki. Julie, you're working towards a high-dose, longer-lasting skin implant to improve the only current available method to prevent RHD, monthly penicillin injections. For around 70 years now, the only proven way to prevent rheumatic fever progression has been through penicillin. And this um, has tended to be administered through a deep intramuscular injection into the backside. And from my understanding, this can be extremely painful and it needs to be delivered every month for often a period of around 10 years. So what this project is doing is looking at, can we deliver penicillin in a different way? This device um, that we're going to be trialing, at the end there is a catheter, which will be inserted just under the skin on the stomach um, in the subcutaneous layer and then um, the penicillin will be in it and it will be um, infused over a period of about 30 to 60 minutes. Thanks Julie. Annika, you're looking at piloting a patient-centred model of care to improve services for rangatai, Māori and Pacifica by developing more appropriate ways to deliver monthly injections to prevent development of RHD. Can you share with us why it's important to do this research? Why are we doing this research? When we look at rheumatic fever, rheumatic heart disease, we see that it's almost exclusively a disease of Māori and Pacific. Um, and yes, we can put that down to deprivation um, and colonisation, but as a Māori academic, I'd also put it down to privileging. And I think when we look at New Zealand society and the healthcare system, we're seeing a society that privileges non-Māori and privileges non-Pacific. And that's a huge driver for us as researchers to go, how do we flip the coin and how do we prioritise Māori and Pacific voices and experiences to change things as they are at the moment. To do that, we need voice and agency of Māori and Pacific patients in whānau. So this project is going to be working with rangatahi or Māori and Pacific youth they're going to be driving the waka. They're going to be our governance advisory group and they're also going to be our participants. So we've got the skills to do the research but they are driving it and informing it so that we can make change. One of the reasons we're focusing on rangatahi is that rheumatic fever is a disease of youth and within the current delivery process, um, which was really well described um, by Julie with the benzathine penicillin, we see that there's huge gaps in service delivery. It can work quite well at a paediatric level, it can work quite well at an adult level, but there's no rangatahi service. Um, there's often no transition to care, there's a huge gap and we want to fill that. We also know that there's systemic racism throughout the healthcare system and that's a huge barrier to many of our rangatahi. 
And on top of that, we have all the gaps that we see from deprivation about accessing and maintaining care for health. So this project is going to assess all of those and deliver an equitable model of care with a rangatahi focus, um, looking at bicillin delivery to prevent further episodes of rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease. Thanks, Annika. Diane, you're working on a novel drug development pathway in search of different chemical forms of penicillin that might produce new options for preventing RHD. Can you tell us more? Even though the penicillin works really well, uh, there are some issues with it, and you've all heard that word pain. Um, so these injections are pretty nasty. It's a it's a very uncomfortable way to be receiving penicillin, um, and so it's a very deep injection, um, an intramuscular injection into the buttock area. And as you can imagine, our kids and our young people hate the injections, um, which is understandable. And um, back in the 19 50s, um, which is the time where some first um, uh, experimental research work was undertaken to look at how um, this injectable penicillin could work to try and prevent rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease. This was carried out in groups of, of soldiers, so military men fit and healthy, aged between 18 and 24. None of them had rheumatic fever. And the results that came from those um, uh, those uh, research works were very much needed at the time. But as you can imagine, we, we now have the means and the ability to, to look at how penicillin works for other population groups, and in particular within children and young people who actually have rheumatic fever and who have to use the drug a lot. So just a bit of back background to how we got penicillin um, uh, and, and why we use it the way we do today. Essentially the results from those studies in the 1950s were extrapolated so they were extended out a bit and determine how we still give penicillin today in 2020 uh, for rheumatic fever prevention. So I hope I've convinced you that uh, we're at a point where we can do something better and we should um, for our children and for our young people. So the work that Cure Kids is helping us to do is to start actually making some of the different chemical forms of penicillin that are better suited for preventing rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease and I should have added that those monthly injections are, are called is called secondary prophylaxis. And I just wanted to um, highlight that the way in which we've gone about this drug design process has been quite novel. So the novel part of it is that we've chosen and we've elected to include, be more inclusive of our communities in the drug design process. So in particular, our Māori and our Pacifica communities and other community groups um, who are represented in um, uh, with rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So in other words, we've actually gone to them, we've gone to our communities and we've asked them to help us design a new penicillin to prevent rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease. So what Cure Kids has done is help us build on that work that our communities have helped us to undertake and to extend this further where we are now at a point where we have enough information to start doing some of the early laboratory work to make these new penicillin forms. Thanks, Diane. Nigel. You're studying the safety and efficacy of a well-known anti-inflammatory medication, hydroxychloroquine, for preventing damage to heart valves and therefore avoiding RHD. 
this has been a slow train coming. Um, so it's actually 20 years since the last international treatment trial for acute rheumatic fever. And so we tried in uh, the late 1990s, uh, Leslie Voss and I were junior researchers and we tried intravenous immunoglobulin and it didn't alter the severity of carditis after the treatment at six months after the treatment. And of course it's, it's the carditis, which is the inflammation of acute rheumatic fever, is the severity of that at the end of your episode of acute rheumatic fever that determines the severity of chronic rheumatic heart disease. So obviously New Zealand's been trying to prevent um, rheumatic fever and um, I guess as I've got older we've actually now found there is, a, there is another potential immunomodulator and this was from work by the, by the Australians published in 2018 uh, about hydroxychloroquine, that it, it seemed to help in the test tube at least to switch off the dysregulated T helper cells. We've heard this morning how complex the pathogenesis of acute rheumatic fever is. And so in 2019, we had two children. Um, one in particular came to us at Starship who'd had the most terrible uh, acute rheumatic fever with inflamed mitral and aortic valves with severe disease their heart their, his heart was very stretched already meeting the requirement uh, to protect the heart by cardiac surgery but he had shoulder pain chest pain and we used corticosteroids and that dampened down the symptoms and then we withdrew the corticosteroids and back came the pain the, the, the traditional ESR and CRP the inflammatory markers went up again so after, after this, the third time of the steroids, we went to the family and said, look, um, we, there's this potential hydroxychloroquine. Um, would, you, would you like to try it? And, and the whanau said, yes, we would. And we backed off the third course of corticosteroids and, we, and the hydroxychloroquine continued and everything settled down. And at cardiac surgery, those veins, the, 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 the valves were no longer inflamed. So, and then we had another child who started off with a classical acute rheumatic fever who then got uh, progressive carditis over a month. And again, hydroxychloroquine seemed to dampen things down. So, slow train coming, 18 months later, we are now ready, thank you very much Cure Kids, to start an observational trial. Thanks Nigel. We've got the brightest brains working hard to improve diagnosis, get better treatments and a potential vaccine to ensure that in the near future we'll be able to eradicate rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease for good. We invite New Zealand to join us in the fight and urge you to reach out if you're able to make a donation. Thanks for listening. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Partners Life who share CureKid's vision of healthier children with a brighter future. Look out for the next podcast in the series coming soon. Remember to subscribe to this series to be alerted when a new podcast is available. And you can donate to this worthy cause by visiting the Cure Kids website at www.curekids.org.nz.